0: Welcome to the fourth episode of our Think Differently and Deeply podcast series. My name is Glenn Whitman, and I direct the Center for Transformative Teaching and Learning at St. Andrew's Episcopal School. This series features authors from the upcoming volume of the CTTL's internationally recognized publication, Think Differently and Deeply, which has been distributed to over 10,000 teachers, school leaders, and policymakers worldwide. Today, I'm really excited to be talking with my colleague, Christine Lewis, who currently teaches fourth grade at St. Andrews, and who is a CTTL facilitator of mind, brain, and education science workshops with our Teach for America DC region partners. This episode will focus on Christine's work supporting the social, emotional, and academic development of St. Andrews students. Welcome, Christine. Thank you. Awesome. Great to have you. Uh, Let's talk about this idea of uh, reflection a bit. You you wrote this article when you were teaching as a third-grade teacher. Right. You've now just finished a year teaching fourth grade. Talk to me about the importance of students at any age, but certainly in our youngest ages, having experience reflecting on their work um, and what they are learning.
1: Well, really, this came about because I knew going into third grade, because I had been in third grade previously, that a, a large number of students struggle in this particular year. And some teachers and and I might have referred to it as um, hitting the wall. Sure. And so what that means really is that until this grade, we are really teaching people how to do things. So the lesson centered around, this is how you write. Let's practice that. But once they hit third grade, then they are thinking more about what can you do with your writing? So first you're learning to read and now you're reading to learn. And um, a lot of students who are very curious, happy, enthusiastic students, and may have been doing very well in first grade and second grade, suddenly are finding themselves unable to complete the activities that they're being given and they start to feel a sense of failure. Um, and not not a, not a failure that is growth, but a failure that is defeatist. Sure. Especially if they have things like dyslexia or some other area where they are going to be struggling as learners um, anyway. My thinking around um, how I was going to proactively help my students get through this Kind of a, a wall, this this momentary glitch where they're like, wait a second, you're not asking me just to copy what you're doing, you're asking me to now analyze it, synthesize it, come up with an opinion, and remember details. Um, I did some research around memory because I thought there are a lot of challenges that students face that might need a specialist, for instance, a dyslexia coach. Um, But the things that I could impact as a classroom teacher uh, is to help them uh, remember the information they need Uh, in a way that's usable. And so I started doing research on memory, and, I mean, there's a lot of research (laughs) on memory. Um, And so there are many, many things that I learned in that process, but the thing that really stuck out to me was um, Daniel Williams' idea that memory is the residue of thought, and also his ideas around the um, fact that students can often mistake familiarity for understanding and so the idea that um, when they're recollecting information that is connected to the topic they suddenly remember oh yes I know about that but that's not the same as having a complete grasp of it and so in his writing I was reading about shallow processing and just simply rereading content is some of the causes. In a classroom setting, those can create the sense of knowing without actually fully understanding so that the student thinks they know the material but then they're not able to use it. Um, And so that's what made me really start thinking about how can I get my students to deepen their mental processing? And that's when I went to reflection because um, for me reflection meant that um, I could get them to come up with an opinion and then argue for it and in that process, they remember the details.
0: And can, can you clarify a little about when you talk about reflection, is it more in the spirit of metacognition and they're reflecting on what they know or don't know? Is it uh, reflecting on the content they're being delivered and giving you feedback, maybe it's at a current event or an experience or, you know, maybe the, uh, it was just an interaction with a peer. J- just clarify for me a little about when you talk about reflection, what it looks like in your class, so to speak.
1: So for me, I would use all of the above. Sure. Fantastic. Um, so uh, for it to be a full and complete process of reflecting, I would want them there to be elements of um, assessing their process as well as recalling and using the information they had. And so I looked for different uh, activities that required reflection, and I tried to tap into my other research on memory so that I tried to make it social. I tried to make it um, uh, meaningful to the students, so I was asking for their opinion about things. And, And so it took what could just be facts that they had to memorize and um, turned it into something interactive and interesting and fun. Um, using technology was one of the ways that I did that. Can,
0: can you, uh, for the audience, uh, give a, a specific example of what that might look like in terms of a lesson or reflection moment that turned into a fun or leveraged technology what would that look like specifically if somebody, by chance, walked into your class at the right reflective opportunity? Yeah.
1: Well, they would probably see the students um, walking around the classroom, and then um, I would either have music playing <laughs> or I'd ring, ring a chime <laughs> or a bell, and they have a process for finding a partner. Maybe they, uh, maybe I'm asking them to form a group of three or four, and then they will stand there and, and look at me and wait with anticipation for the question that they're going to talk about. um, And they know that it's always going to be interesting. So, you know, we did a study on the planets. And so as a reflection after one of the lessons, I got them to um, partner up and they had to tell each other what their favorite planet was and what was it about that planet that spoke to them. And it's that second part of the question that makes them think and deepens their thinking. Um, And then I would get them to change and form a group of three, and then the three of them might talk about something um, like, which one of the planets do you think would be most likely to support life? What kind of life might it support? And what is, is it about that planet and its atmosphere that makes you think all of this? So by getting them to reflect on the content in that way, they are pr- mentally processing the information in a deep way that they can then use.
0: Fantastic. So there's a great example. Here's my question for you now. You wrote the article as a third-grade teacher. You've just finished teaching fourth grade. Now, I think a lot of people out there might say, ah, oh, one year doesn't make a difference. But does it make a difference? Does a, does a third-grader's ability to reflect Uh, is that different than a fourth-grader's ability to reflect?
1: Well, it's really interesting because some of the students that I had in my third-grade class came through into my fourth-grade classroom, and then I got a cohort of students who had not been in my third-grade classroom, and um, it became very obvious very quickly that the ones who had been using these reflection techniques last year, even if it's just journaling, you know, what are your thoughts on this topic? Um, They just dove into it immediately and really relished the opportunity to share their ideas with their um, classmates. And so it becomes contagious. All of them very quickly um, started to reflect on everything. And, And I find them doing um, impromptu reflections with each other that I haven't prompted. So uh, if they're working on a math problem and they've been figuring it out, then the thing that's interesting for me is that those kids that I worked with last year, if they're sitting near each other, they'll turn to each other and say, so you know, we were just doing partial products division what was it that you found most challenging? Or, or what did you do that helped you with that process? And they will actually initiate a reflection between each other.
0: Fantastic. Um, as a St. Andrews teacher, and, and I've gotten to see this firsthand, you've really embraced this idea of uh, knowing as much as possible about the learning brain and the, the, the mind, brain, education, science behind um, teaching and learning. Uh, what about memory, since you, you connected both memory and reflection, do you know now as an educator that you wish you knew uh, with your younger self, your your, your rookie year teacher, um, what has changed about your thinking about memory?
1: I think the most important thing for me is that now I understand more what my responsibility is as a teacher to set the scene for uh, deep usable memory to occur. So, um, in, in back in the day, you know, memorising poems. <laughs> I love. I still love those things. Sure, sure. It's it's always great to do that.
0: Can you still me- remember a poem you were asked <laughs> while, uh, while a young student in a far off place in the world? Uh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Your times tables, though, <laughs> so definitely. I bet you.
1: Sure. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but so. Um, Really, that's it, is what is my my job, how to robustly encode, how, do you, how to uh, use all of the science that's available to us to understand that they remember what they are learning in social context, they remember what they learn when they are happy, they remember what they learn when they ha- are being active and... Um, are moving around. And so um, knowing all of that, putting all that together helps me front load success for them when I'm introducing new content. And also this reflection piece is my way of deepening that. Um, it's a part of the, the spacing effect. So I use the reflections strategies uh, as my spacing. Got it. Um, strategies Makes sense. Over a period of time. And so knowing like a day later, a week later, a month later, I might have them um, jump up, find somebody to talk to, and then reflect on something they did a month ago. Got it. Got it. Um, and so that is one of the fun ways that I do that because if they're enjoying the process, you can get them to remember things that are – otherwise potentially dry for them. It, not everything is exciting to a third grader. No,
0: no, not absolutely not. You know, you bring up, a. you, you mentioned the word success. And I, you know, I know as a center at, at St. Andrews, we often think a lot about uh, impact, measuring impact. How do you know? I mean, how do you know that uh, a chosen memory strategy or your use of reflection is actually encoding or deepening knowledge in ways that we hope for as educators, um, might work for some kids, not all kids, but you know, how are you measuring or observing the impact your uh, instructional strategies around memory and reflection are impacting students?
1: So one of the things before I started um, the year and I identified that I wanted to explore the role of reflection um, to see if it could have an impact, so what I did was I would I taught a unit using my old strategies, my regular regular strategies, right. and then um, we did formative assessments, but we also did culminating assessments uh, around the material. And then um, what I did was I intentionally tried to um, uh, replicate the volume of detailed information that I wanted the students to know in a a fresh unit, Um, but I was using the reflection uh, all the way through it, and also I used it as a study tool immediately prior to the culminating assessment. Well, I noticed I could see in the data an increase in um, their scores. So not every child went up as much as each other. Some children went up significantly, um, but some children had a small shift, but everyone had an increase. And so for me, even though that's anecdotal, that's not done by a university, that's my (laughs) own active research in the classroom, I am looking for actual evidence um, that there is an impact. And and going back to the idea of the wall, um, the way that this manifests often in a third-grade classroom is children can be tearful, children can have stress responses, they can become oppositional when they weren't previously in previous years. And these are all symptoms of like a, a... like. I used to be able to do this. Right. And now I feel like I can't do it. Right. And um, so um, anecdotally, in terms of their social and emotional ability to manage the change in expectation in third grade, um, the cohort that I was putting this reflection uh, activity into um, place with became very growth mindset. Because when we did reflections, it was always... Something that they could have an opinion about, something that they could learn from, and they would swap knowledge. Right. They learn more from each other than they learned from me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so um, so in terms of their social and emotional, their, their stress indicators just – they never came – to the point I was bracing myself, but it didn't happen right. because they always felt they had another way. They they were learning, they were reflecting, they could improve. S-
0: so a question I have for you is regarding uh, scale. You know, your your the students you did this with was a was a class of ten. Right. I know there is teachers out there who, A, would love a class of 10, but B, their reality looks like they might have a class of 30, 35 students. So so convince them that they should build in and that they can build in uh, reflective exercises into their pedagogical practice.
1: So um, yes, I do have a class of 10. But when you're going up to, say, a class of 24, class of 30 even, um It can be done, and it can be done by the way that I train them. So I start from the beginning of the year, And uh, we start from scratch of what is the behavior expectation when you are walking around the classroom and you are finding a partner. So I and we just
0: clarify when you talk about training, it's it's getting your you're training your students. I am training my students exactly.
1: So I don't assume that they have any of the social skills that would be needed to execute any of these interactive or active. Um, reflections. Sure. So I have taught them uh, from day one of the year, how do you walk around the class? How do you respond if somebody asks you to be their partner? How do you speak to somebody who has just shared an opinion with you? Um, how do you word your opinion in a way that um, is, is speaking your truth and uh, and not making someone feel that their truth may not be okay. Sure. Um, and so all of that has to be trained up front. Um, and then as I, so I did all of that work um, during that first period of the year when I was doing the other unit that I then was testing, I was setting the stage for the students to be able to smoothly move into those reflections with success. Sure. And so... Really what I had to do was deconstruct every reflective um, activity that I had chosen for this um, year of study and decide exactly what I'm asking the students to do. And then once I knew exactly what I was asking the students to do, I then taught them those skills, but in a low stakes situation where I might just be asking them, uh, you know, to tell each other what they did on the weekend or uh, what they hope to eat tonight for dinner. Um, (laughs) So, which may not be low stakes for some of our students, but thinking of something, you know your own students, thinking what is low stakes for them and practicing the skills that they need to use for the reflection before you jump into that activity.
0: All right. So now I got a great follow up question. At least in my own mind, um, there's teachers out there saying I can't give up that time. I I, there's, I have to cover maths. I have to. We have to do reading. We have other other content. So you're telling me you want me to give up class time at the beginning of the year to train my students to behave. Properly and learn the proper social and emotional cues. So you have to convince me, Miss Lewis, why I should do that.
1: So in my experience, okay. um, I have learned over the years that if I invest up front, I gain more in the end. So in the years when I was teaching prior to investing that time... sure. I would spend most of my days, most of the year, managing misbehavior. Gotcha. Once I have these in place, yes, there's still going to be misbehavior that I have to respond to. But it is not 65% of the class. It's just the 10 or 5% who have very real needs that um, I'm, of course, going to have to address as an ongoing issue through the year. And also, um, I, it helps when I invest that time, it helps me identify the students who are going to need the ongoing support so that even if I have done the training, we have practiced it, even then, if I'm going to use it in a meaningful way as a part of a re- real reflection for content, knowledge, learning, then um, I will touch base with those students either remind them or have them tell me what the expectation is or I might set something up where I have all of the class finds a partner but I keep one child with me and then I will partner them up later because perhaps that child can't manage being in the classroom and moving around without knocking over desks and, um, you know, banging into classmates. Sure. So And that's not a punishment. That is me taking care of right. their need. Because I believe that when students uh, misbehave or act out in class, they feel embarrassed right. and that it undermines their sense of self-worth. Right. So I'm, by being proactive and supporting their positive integration into the activity, I am enhancing their sense of personal dignity.
0: Well, it sounds like a great investment of time early in the school year to actually allow for deepening and more high-order thinking, learning as the year progresses. So that's a great example.
1: In fact, the more that I have invested time up front, the more able, without stress, I have been to get through entire curriculums in a year.
0: And I I know, and I'll just speak, I I think I could speak for Christine. If anybody ever gets to the the Washington, D.C. area, uh, I will invite you to Christine's class and we can have this conversation further on uh, this investment of time and and classroom time. So uh, uh, love that, that perspective. Thanks. Thank you. At St. Andrews, we often end our classes with some form of exit ticket or active retrieval of information that was a focal point of the day's class. We know from mind, brain, and education science research that if students don't start recalling or using their learning, they are bound to forget it. So in that research-informed spirit, here is your exit ticket. If you are a teacher or parent, what is one way you currently use, or now plan to use, reflection to help your students or children encode in their long-term memory their academic and life experiences Tweet your response to at the CTTL We look forward to seeing what you come up with The Think Differently and Deeply podcast is a production of the Center for Transformative Teaching and Learning at St. Andrews Episcopal School in Potomac, Maryland where the mission is to know and inspire each child in an inclusive community dedicated to exceptional teaching learning and service Each podcast is produced by Kirsten Peterson and mixed by Jordan Yance Jordan also composed our theme music, which we lovingly call The Growth Mindset. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and more. And while you're there, leave us a review. This active reflection will embed what you've learned from this podcast into your long-term memory.